0: Hello folks, welcome to another episode of The Undertow Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the crime comics of Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. I'm happy to be bringing you, I guess this would be episode two, Uh, I'm here with uh, my co-host Bubba Beasley. Hi there. Hello Bubba, and uh, yeah, a lot's happened. It's been a little over a month, I think, since we um, dropped our last episode and we we appreciate everybody out there giving us some listens and giving us some mentions. i um, like to mention that uh, these episodes are available on iTunes. Um, they are also available on our website, which is undertow.podbean.com. So you can check them out there. You can stream, download from the site, or you can find them on iTunes. You can contact us if you'd like to uh, give us some feedback or uh, let us know you're out there at undertowpodcast at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter at undertow podcast so you could reach us on social media there um always appreciate feedback um itunes ratings if you would uh you know give us a give us a rating on there that'll that'll help us get the word out about the podcast we would appreciate that sponsorship Um, is
1: available is that
0: (laughs) always available always available for anybody out there interested um you know, uh we'll do our uh, we will give you a spoiler alert. Um obviously all the books we're going to talk about will have spoilers. Um so we definitely recommend reading the book prior to listening to the podcast. Um and we are not affiliated with Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips or Image Comics. We're just big fans of their books and um so anyway, we're going to just kind of break down the books we're reading and and give you some analysis and uh, hopefully a little entertain you in the process and We'll start things off here. Uh, Bubba's going to get us up to date. There's, you know, been a significant amount of Brew Baker news um, in the last month, so uh, I'll hand things off to you, Bubba. Yes,
1: sir. So um, the big thing uh, in terms of news has been the August solicitations and the Ed Brew email newsletter, uh, you know, from the desk of Ed Brew Baker, uh, his second. A newsletter came out just uh this past week as of as of uh, tonight that we're recording and um and there's been lots of information in in both of the newsletters that he sent out so far but uh first uh kill or be killed has been officially solicited for uh august 3rd uh it's a four dollar comic book but also an extra long comic at uh, 40 pages and um the uh, Image Comics has recently uh, released a uh, magazine called Image Plus that they publish uh, every month. That is either um, free with uh, the the four dollar issue of previews, which is this big. Um, if you if you don't go to your comic book shop that often, it's this big phone book sized uh, book of uh, of previews of solicitations and advertisements for for upcoming upcoming books and merchandise from from publishers, big and small, and um, and um, starting very recently, uh, just in the last couple months, Image has started uh, placing its own magazine, its own uh, publicity magazine, um, in with the, uh, the $4 issues uh, previews, or you can buy it separately for, for $1.99, and uh, their second issue of Image Plus had uh, Kill or Be Killed on the cover Featured a um, short two-page interview with the creators Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, and and the colorist uh, Elizabeth Brightwiser, Betty Brightwiser. And um, the day after that, magazine came out. Um, Brubaker sent out his, his first n- newsletter issue that that had that same preview, and had um, two more additional pages. We found out that that the um, that the preview. The six-page preview was not the traditional trailer that that long long-term uh, fans may have seen for, for Criminal and Fatale and, and the fade out that this sort of cinematic trailer this almost movie uh, uh, movie style trailer it really was the first six pages of issue number one and in the um, in the newsletter uh, Brubaker showed uh, a couple more pages in progress so. So inks, but without colors, and um, we get to see see this this new character. Apparently, his name is Dylan, the college student on on a um, on a mission to 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 kill a bad guy. We see a lot of violence. We see his inner monologue, and we still don't find out an awful lot about. We don't find out really anything uh, about what he what he is doing, about why why this uh, character, you know, this. Uh, New York grad student is being forced to, you know, as the, the title goes, kill or be killed. Um, the, the other big news in the, the August uh, solicitations was another uh, criminal trade paperback. Um, the two one-shots that have come out over the last two years, um, the, the Savage Sword uh, one-shot last year and the Deadly Hands one-shot are being collected um, on sale in September, uh, it's uh, volume seven, called Wrong Time, Wrong Place. And I was actually kind of surprised uh, to see these two collected. I was actually hoping that, you know, one of these days we'd see a, a, a third uh, one-shot just to round out a, a kind of trilogy. But the fact is, is that this this collection of just two extra-long issues will be almost as long as as Last of the Innocent, almost as long as as uh, the dead and the dying which was three issues three long issues bad night which was four standard issues and um, and, and it has been advanced solicitated of advance solicited, uh, advanced solicited uh, for september um the along with with um, the rest of the image books scene of the crime hardcover all of the criminal trades the fatale trades the fade out trades we haven't seen the the uh, republication of incognito but it is, as best as I can tell, still still in the works uh, for it to be reprinted through Image. Uh, it originally came out through Marvel's Icon imprint. And then just this past week, Ed Brubaker sent out his um, his uh, second uh, newsletter. He did give an advanced look of the cover art for the uh, second issue of Kill or Be Killed and gave uh, some previews, some before and after coloring work um, uh, uh, previews of velvet number 15 which is on its way it's going to be an extra long issue and it's also going to to wrap up the first big arc uh uh for for uh velvet they're working on a new project that will be announced shortly and then they'll come back to velvet
0: yeah and we should uh we we should encourage any listener that if you haven't signed up for um ed brubaker's newsletter that bubba's talking about you really should do that um very cool stuff he just sends out a you know a, a relatively brief email but you, you know there's only been two so far but you get some some previews and then just some some thoughts about what he's working on or what's on his mind and and it's a good read so um definitely go to ed's website sign up for the email list and and you'll be glad you did
1: Yep. and gotham central has recently been released in a in a massive hardcover omnibus um that was the the other big uh collection news um From as best as I can tell, there isn't extra uh, a lot of extra bonus features. If you already have, you know, the hardcovers or the trade paperbacks that collect all forty issues without skipping a beat, then I'm not sure that it would be be worth tracking down this, you know, this massive uh, um, 957 page hundred dollar collection. Um, But if you haven't read Gotham Central, and if you're a fan of uh, of you know Brubaker or the artwork by Michael Lark or Greg Rucka, um, if you're a fan of uh, of um, Christopher Nolan's world building for, for Batman, especially The Dark Knight, there there's a uh, arc in Gotham Central that that seemed if it didn't seem to ins- if it didn't inspire the uh, the Joker. In the Dark Knight, it, it was serendipitous. You know, it really did um, set the stage for a truly terrifying Joker. So,
0: And did Ed write that particular arc, or was that a Rucka arc?
1: I think that was the two of them, is that they tended to split um, writing duties in terms of, of which, which shift they were covering. That Rucka tended to cover, I think it was the day shift with Montoya and uh, Alan um, <laughs> characters who had who, who had stories that went past Gotham Central into oh what was the big event at that point it wasn't Final Crisis Infinite Crisis Infinite Crisis in 52 and Fifty Two and Final Crisis and then uh, Brubaker wrote um, mostly for the night shift and the first arc with Mister Freeze and and that arc Soft Targets with with the Joker were were such big events within the context of this of this pretty short series that that it involved both of them.
0: So anyway, that's kind of the 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 news of the month uh, in the brew baker world. Um the one unfortunate piece of news that that we wanted to address on this episode was uh the passing of Darwin Cook, who both Bubba and I are are big fans. Of his work and uh, specifically the Parker adaptations that he that he did over the last few years, Um, but yeah, Darwin Cook um, died on May fourteenth. There was I had not even heard that he had been sick, but um,
1: well, it 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 came out of nowhere. As best as I could tell, um, there were there were no really prior announcements and uh, up until yeah Friday morning, uh, May thirteenth. There was an announcement on a on a blog that's closely related to, to Darwin Cook, the Almost Darwin Cooks uh, blog, that um, and it's still up. That Darwin um, was receiving palliative care following a bout with aggressive cancer, um, and it and it didn't go into further details. And that came out Friday morning, and it sounded like just looking at Twitter that even close friends. Um, or at least, or at least friends and acquaintances, acquaintances weren't aware uh, that, um, that that Darwin was sick, that he he had been diagnosed with cancer, or at least that that it was that bad. And basically, 24 hours later, it was announced that 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 he had, it was officially officially announced that he had passed away uh that saturday morning yeah may 14th um that, that there was some rumblings on twitter earlier but uh, uh officially confirmed around around lunchtime that saturday so it was 24 hours and it's yeah out of out of the blue completely out of the blue
0: yeah very sad news um if you're not familiar with darwin's work um definitely and you're into crime comics you should check it out i mean as as far as contemporary crime comics um you know, these Parker books are just right up there with, with, with Brubaker's best work. It's just really fantastic examples. Um, uh, Darwin was a, a Canadian cartoonist um, who, you know, is largely known for, for DC, a lot of work he did with DC. Um, it looks like he did, he published his first comic book in 1985, and then I guess he left the industry for, for quite a long time um you know for 15 years or so and then then kind of came back in the early 2000s and started working for dc
1: um, a- after working on a lot of the uh, dc uh animated uh shows like batman the animated yeah. series with with bruce tim and, and paul dini yeah
0: yeah and in 2001 um darwin did the art and with uh, ed brubaker wrote they revamped catwoman um, and we're gonna we're gonna delve into that here in a little bit, but the, uh, you know. And then he also did the New Frontier, which was a six-issue miniseries for uh, for DC. Um, he did a couple of the Before Watchmen books uh, that were kind of controversial, but he did a couple of those books. And then he also did what we mentioned the the uh, Parker adaptations, which was the Richard Stark, Donald Westlake uh, novels. Um, and when were those written, Bubba? <laughs>
1: Um, the, the original novels were written um, beginning in the 60s. The uh, adaptations came out in 2010, 2012, 20, or um, 2009, 2010, 2012, and uh, 2013. Uh, More was on its way, and, I, and you know, I, I hadn't read everything that Darwin Cook produced um, when, when, when his illness and, and passing were, were announced you know, back-to-back. But, yeah, I had fallen in love with his Parker books, and I, I had come from it's, it's one of these situations where I've been bouncing between crime comics and, and crime fiction. You know, Gotham Central led to, to, to Brew Baker and Phillips, uh, criminal. And, and they had, had, had um, in their very first couple issues, they had advertisements for hard case crime. Which is this um, imprint of um, uh, of mostly paperback books? Some very old uh, uh, crime novels, some very new stuff. They had they've published two new books from Stephen King. They've published uh, half dozen of Michael Crichton's earliest books uh, that he that were originally published under under a pseudonym while he was still in med school. Uh, they've done a lot of Donald Westlake, a lot of Lawrence Block. Um, one by uh, one book by a guy named A. C. Doyle, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, and um, and I went from criminal to the hard case crime books. And while I, w- I was really getting into those, and I'm I'm still a huge fan and, and um, hard case crime. This isn't the first time. This isn't the last time that this imprint will come up, even tonight. Um, while becoming a greater and greater fan and encountering Donald Westlake time and time again. I saw that the University of Chicago Press was reprinting his uh, his Parker books. Um, Donald Westlake was his real name. Uh, Richard Stark was the pseudonym uh, for for the, for which he wrote uh, Parker and Grofield, uh, two career criminals that that couldn't be more dissimilar. They worked they, they worked a couple times together, and there's actually a pair of books. Um, called um, uh, called Slayground and oh, what was the other <sighs> Slayground and I think the other was Blackbird, where where the first chapter is actually the same, where the two characters are on a um, armored car heist uh, that goes wrong, horribly wrong, and the characters split. Slayground is about what happens to Parker, and Blackbird is what happens to, to Grofield. And Parker is this very serious, no nonsense, tough as nails. You could probably argue argue a sociopathic um, criminal who doesn't who doesn't murder out of hate or anything, but if he sees if he has a goal, which is usually a, a score, a, a heist, and your death is a, a means to that end. You're, you're not going to make it to the end of the book. Um, while Grofield is this uh, character who, who is happy-go-lucky and, and talkative, and he uses all his proceeds to, to fund um, his small theater in the middle of nowhere um, and fund his little acting job, which you know some friends of mine who are actors would really appreciate. But I'd gone from crime comics of criminal to hard case crime, to the Chicago Press uh, reprints of, of Parker, and then I that brought me back to crime comics when I heard that that Darwin Cook was was doing these Parker books. I ended up meeting meeting Darwin Cook actually at uh, Dragon Con in Atlanta a few years back when he signed uh, he he signed my uh, hardcover for for the first book, The Hunter, and did a, a very simple sketch uh, of uh, Parker, you know, ten strokes that are just. Ten pen strokes that are just, um, just, just striking, both in their simplicity and in and in in their intensity. And um, he was funny enough, wearing a giant Winnie the Pooh suit um, and sunglasses, and holding a, a presumably adult beverage, a, holding a cocktail. And I have never read anything of his that was anything less than than very good. And in the case of the Parker books. Uh, the catwoman books and the new frontier it's all been great and his passing particularly young age uh he he passed away at age 53 the sa- about the same age that that my mom passed away um in the context of a lot of uh, a lot of high profile deaths you know um in this first half of 2016 i think the highest profiles deaths being being prince and david bowie um You know, you you mourn every or you you feel bad for every loss, that sort of thing. This this, you know, Darwin Cook's death hit me like a ton of bricks. I've actually been bereaved for the first time, you know, that that somebody I didn't really know, you know, for the first time since uh, Jim Henson back in 1990. (laughs) And and, you know, it's 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 just awful that he passed away. It's 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 awful that. That there were things left undone. Um, that one of the things I mentioned on on uh, the blog I maintained for for Brubaker and Phillips and Crime Comics in general, you know, a criminal blog. One of the things I mentioned was was that there were projects that were announced but but never apparently completed. Uh, Darwin Cook's first uh, creator-owned um, miniseries, Revengeance, um, to be set in Toronto. It was announced. Um in um, January 2015, uh, was supposed to be released that June, so a year ago this month, but it was never solicited, never evidently published. and I, I think it would be overly optimistic to assume that it ever that, that, that Cook was able to to complete enough in order to publish it. And then above that, you know you, you've finished the last um, the last, parker adaptation uh Ground, and you see parker will return you know i i i uh, think i linked to a um, interview where he mentioned that he definitely wants to come back to parker he has big plans the the original contract was for four books but they but the 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 critical and commercial reception was so astounding that that he was definitely coming back to it and was going to do uh, Butcher's Moon, which a lot of a lot of Westlake fans who are who who are much more knowledgeable than I, you know, I, I keep reading that that is the masterpiece of the Parker books. He's not going to get a chance to get to it.
0: Yeah, his his art style is very distinctive if you're not familiar with it, and um, you know, and I th- I think it'd be fair to say it had kind of a retro Silver Age vibe to it, but it was very detailed, you know. Uh, it lended itself well to crime and noir comics and um you know the details were just really stellar yep um and those those books are published by idw the parker books and and yeah they they come highly recommended from from us two guys here at the podcast as just being really fine examples of crime comics and you know i also i think darwin did um and i got to check out the first two issues of this and maybe the last thing he published was the the there was a Vertigo series called The Twilight Children, I believe, is the title. Yep, and, and it was with the um, one of the Love and Rockets creators was writing it. I can't remember which brother it was—a Hernandez. Gilbert brother. Hernandez, I believe. Go Gilbert. On. Okay, I couldn't remember if it was Gilbert or his brother, but anyway, the the first two issues were interesting, and um, the, that's a book on my list to finish. I've I've got the trade, and and I will I will get to that. And that may be the last thing. Is that the last thing that he published?
1: Um, I believe it it was the last interior art that he published i think there might have been some dc um cover art that has come out since then like i think okay. there was even um there was even uh, cover art by darwin cook that came out the week after he passed retro silver age it's cartooning um but it is it is not juvenile yeah even when covering a subject like the new frontier you know the silver age classic dc superheroes that that there's weight to it but it's also very very there's a simplicity to it and you could probably put put the the artists that that ed brubaker has really shined with on a on a on a continuum on one end you would have darwin cook in terms uh of simplicity on the other end i would probably say put steve epting steve epting in terms of of almost realism, and I think you'd have to put Sean Phillips in between.
0: There was no uh, no Brew Baker releases in this last month. Uh, like Bubba said, Velvet is is on the horizon, and another episode of Velvet. So I'm sure that we will talk about that maybe on the next the next episode. So um, with no current Brew Baker release, um, we were going to go back and talk about some of this Darwin Cook material and and
1: to celebrate was- his work. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I, so I was going to start things off here and talk about um, the Catwoman reboot that that Darwin did um, with Ed Brubaker. Um, like I said, that came out in two thousand one. Um, there's a there's a trade that collects some of those issues, and the the first the first thing they did was this arc centered around this uh, detective named Slam Bradley, which actually appeared in Detective Comics um, before they segued into an actual Catwoman book where Darwin did the, the first four issues, I believe. Um so anyway, this first arc this first arc in Detective Comics, they Ed kinda took a similar approach as as he did in Gotham Central as far as um using, you know, this kind of side character as the main character and these the, the superheroes that we're used to seeing as the central characters are are more playing these bit parts that you just see occasionally. Um so the this Slam Bradley arc is from the perspective of this detective. Um and it's it's really interesting stuff. It's a it's a good combination. It's definitely um lots of uh noir imagery that we're used to seeing with, with Ed. And you see some similarities to his later creator owned books. You know, when I was reading this, there's a scene towards the end, um, Anyway, just to set up the plot, Slam is... Catwoman has recently been declared dead, and Slam is hired. Um, some people are questioning whether she's actually dead or not, and so he is hired, I believe, by the mayor to investigate whether she's actually still alive. So he's diving into Selina Kyle and, and Catwoman and starting to put two and two together on on what the, the situation is there. And um, there's a scene towards the end that that's pretty interesting it's where slam is is getting beaten up by cops and and he's picturing selena's eyes you know she's had a large impact on him after meeting her and it it reminded me a lot of fatal actually you know he was he was basically accepting his fate but he was he was fine with it because of his experiences and with uh with meeting selena and Darwin's way of draw, drawing this, you know, there's this kind of close up on on Selena's eyes over the whole scene and and it's kind of this combination of sad but sexy at the same time and it reminded me like Josephine in Fatale. It's kind of the same vibe and he says that I hold on to her face like a drunk in a fever dream. And so that that was an interesting scene. And there's just the, you know, you see those those normal noir conventions that we're so used to in Brew Baker books as far as private investigators, cops, newspaper men, you know, the lots of the characters are smoking, femme fatales. That stuff runs strongly through through this particular Catwoman arc. And there's there's also as far as the layout of the actual pages, there's um lots of those three tier grids that become, you know, the the norm on the criminal books. You know, you're see I see some of those and there's lots of narration and you know internal monologue like criminal has
1: it feels like an older book than it is
0: yeah it really does it really does so he's kind of mining those same things that you would see later on in criminal and it's just the cook's artwork just matches that that noir tone of the book perfectly um like we were talking about earlier you know lots of shadows a bit cartoony um, but with a keen eye on details the the signs, the hairstyles, the cars are, you know, very accurate and very detailed, which—and in the Parker books, you know, those really shine as far as representing the the era that the book is set in. Um, and the other interesting thing in the Catwoman arc that I was taking note of is uh, it's a strong—there's a strong feminist message in the book, Um And this is more after the Slam Bradley arc, which is when the book was actually, I guess, rebooted. So it was like the first four issues of the actual Catwoman book. Um, And for the most part, the male characters just look really bad. Um, You have, you know, just these misogynistic, uh, you know, pretty rudimentary men um, doing bad things, and and Selina's frustrated with it. Um, And the plot... The plot centers around um, these prostitutes that are being murdered. And, you know, Ed, even, it's kind of interesting, even Batman kind of gets lumped in with these misogynistic men and kind of gets thrown under the bus. There's a line in there where um, Selina says, while he may care, these women aren't that high on his list either. Um, So there's, you know, there's some strong statements about, you know, class and social status and that these prostitutes' deaths don't matter to the To the police and to the general public, you know, you got the cops kind of cracking jokes about um, these dead prostitutes, and you know, the the there's mobsters, there's sleazy used car salesman that's cheating on his wife, and um, so anyway, it's there's a strong you know feminist undertones uh, throughout the whole throughout that 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 arc, which is kind of interesting. And then the the ending, the ending of the book goes off the rails a little bit for me. It was. It's a strong it's a strong arc and and it's very realistic until the ending it it shifts into this kind of bizarre superhero ending where the the villain turns into this kind of crazy shape-shifting blob a kind of a so, clay face yeah yeah kind of a clay face so anyway the I was I it's a real like I said it's definitely worth checking out the artwork's fantastic and the 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 Slam Bradley arc I like I probably liked better than the first four issues of Catwoman, which I did enjoy with the exception of the ending. Like I said, it kind of turned into this um uh, kind of turned into this kind of goofy superhero villain.
1: And I wonder I wonder what's that with that ending if if uh, so this this unnamed uh killer um you know it, it's clear that he's not in control of himself, that he that he is psychotic. But because we don't get any insight to them until the very end, I think that may be why it comes out of nowhere. Um, yeah. It's, the, the title of the arc is, is Anodyne. You know, something to, to – well, the best definition online is that it's, it, it's something to basically dull the pain or to, to, to kill the pain. To, to kind of soothe and and calm a person down um it, i i wonder if the intent was for that for that title to refer both to catwoman and and how uh, how she wasn't at peace until she reclaimed this persona how selena wasn't at peace until she reclaimed the persona of catwoman and and Claim this new mission of of looking out for other people, of being a a do gooder, you know, looking looking to solve um, to solve problems, you know, one woman a team, and, and maybe it also refers to to the the villain in this this piece that what he was looking for. He he has this sense memory that he used to be attractive before he became this monster, and he's looking. For women to look at him in the same way that that they that he remembers they used to, and he's clinging to that as 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 an anodyne. Um, and I just yeah, because there wasn't I think enough uh, enough setup for that early on. It the the pay payoff does seem to come out out of nowhere. Particularly, it is a clayface type character which. You mentioned, you know, almost uh, a superhuman superheroes is that there are, you know, going going back to even Batman the Animated Series, there are characters that fit more in the world of noir where they're broken psychologically, but they're not breaking the laws of physics. You know, the the Jokers and Two-Face and, and to some degree the Mr. Freeze. Um, and then those who who aren't, who are clearly not in a naturalistic setting, the Raz al Ghul or Ra's al Ghul types who who are immortal, the clayface, you know, the shape-shifting monsters, the man bats, you know, and, and I think this entire arc, including that, that prelude story works so well in an almost real world, you know, in a noir. Yeah. That's yeah.
0: That was the thing is that it was, the story is a very grounded, um, A very grounded story there's you know yeah she she does start to dress up like Catwoman but it's very like you said it's very realistic um it's very familiar to what you know we're used to seeing from Ed Brubaker now and then like I said the ending it just shifted tones I just you know it just like I said it kind of went off the rails because I just it didn't fit with the tone of the of the 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 other seven issues or whatever but you know it's you know, it's definitely worth checking out the the artwork. the The two of them together is, uh, you know, it's quite the the uh, dream team.
1: Yep, and it's and it's an important um, dream team for Catwoman. This this pretty much has has set her look. Um, you know, fifteen years later, I don't think anybody has drawn her better than Darwin Cook, but they have not substantially altered her her costume, which. You know, compared to, to, to a character like, say, say a Wonder Woman or, or a Batman, you know, her, her costumes have gone through an awful lot of redesigns, in part because some of them have been hideous. Um, and I think, you know, it, it wasn't accidental. You know, they weren't given this costume design. As, as, if I understand correctly, Brubaker and, and Cook were responsible for this new look. Um, for for Selina Kyle for for Catwoman, and it shows, you know, what we'll see again and again, you know, looking through his work, looking through through Catwoman, New Frontier, the Parker books, is that what he what Darwin Cook does is get at the essence uh, of a character, really distills an idea to to what really shines, and for Catwoman, it's it's this very simple, very. I, I think even even in, within the story, Batman noticed that it was what utilitarian, very useful. Um, this this very grounded um, uh, a cat suit, um, you know, sexy, you know, form fitting leather, but but you know, uh, a very grounded and, and very empowering as opposed to exploitive uh, look for Catwoman. Uh, Brubaker fans should should see this as probably his first really successful um, uh, work for for hire. You know, he, he's done. He, I think if I have the chrono- chronology correct, Brubaker had do, done some Batman work before this, but it doesn't stand out in, in part because um, his, his Batman art kept getting interrupted by by big events both within the batman universe and and within the dc universe a, a, at large but you could go from catwoman to gotham central to daredevil and to captain america so from across dc and marvel and those would probably be the the big four titles of uh superhero work um that 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 brubaker has done and has really excelled at either the noir style of catwoman and gotham central in um, Daredevil or the Espionage of, of Captain America, which I know Robert has has read
0: more than I have. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. It's yeah, I would say that you know, in each one of those books is kind of more high profile than the last. You know, so I would say this was definitely a big stepping stone in um, his superhero work.
1: And it was also a a stepping stone to the the Parker books. Um, it, if you get so the newer collections of the Catwoman um, trade paperbacks, there's a story that they place at the beginning, you know, so placing it in chronological order, but it was released afterwards uh, in the following summer. It's that uh, after that, four, the, that short four-chapter um, slam, slam Bradley story in the back of Detective Comics that led to this new volume of Catwoman, this new look for Selina Kyle, where, where Darwin Cook helped kick it off with the new design, did the first four issues, and then, then passed the baton art-wise um, while, while Brubaker stayed on for I think 30 or 40 issues. Um, Darwin Cook then went back and and created a, a prequel that bridged the gap even further between Selina Kyle's supposed disappearance – her initial encounters with Slam Bradley, and, and it's called Selena's Big Score, and it's collected in in that new volume of Catwoman Volume One, Trail of the Catwoman. It's also collected in a uh, trade paperback called uh, Batman Ego and Other Tales, T A I L S. So fun there, and it's a full blown heist heist story. I think other than flashbacks, you don't see um, any superheroed costumes. And it's uh, Selena Kyle coming back to Gotham because she's out of money, putting together a um, a crew uh, for this um, train robbery um, across you know the the U.S. Canadian border, uh, robbing a train of of drug money that the uh, that the mob is sending, and it's ex- in exchange for narcotics. And um, it's it's pure noir. It's it's a crime story, and it's a it's a great. Lead into these these um, adaptations of Richard Stark's Parker books, in part because one of the characters that we're introduced to um, is is essentially Selena's mentor, an older man who they had a you know they have a romantic uh, connection. She betrayed him, and we find out uh, the details of uh, uh, the how and why. But um, this older hardened a career thief named Stark, after after Richard Stark, and apparently modeled after um, uh, apparently modeled a- after Lee Marvin, who played um, the uh, the Parker stand-in in um, the uh, Point Blank in, in the Point Blank adaptation. Yeah. So you can go from the Catwoman books to Selena's big score directly to to uh, the Parker books uh, to the um, Parker adaptations or you can go from Parker the Parker Books to um Selina's big score to Catwoman. They they bridge each other very very nicely.
0: There's a and, you know there's just like I said Darwin's work, work really excels. There's a there's a beautiful shot um in Cat, in the Catwoman arc of uh, it's a overhead shot in her bedroom where she's asleep lying in bed. Um you get the the nice noir shadows coming from the blinds. Um, coming in over the over the bed and over the floor, the Catwoman costume is on a balcony, kind of in the foreground, um, and then you see a cat sitting there looking out this large window. You know she's obviously in a high up apartment, urban apartment setting, but it's just a it's just a gorgeous shot. Um, that's just some really good opportunities for for Darwin Cook to shine in that in that Catwoman world, that Gotham City world. Um, so definitely a, a a good book to check out. Um, you know, with Ed Brubaker writing, Darwin Cook drawing, and that's the only time the two collaborated, correct?
1: Um, I believe so, but they—they, they, uh, I believe it's the only time they worked together. But I do know that um, in an oversized edition of the uh, first two Parker books collected together, called the Martini Edition, um. Darwin did some artwork uh, of him uh, in the back of himself and some close uh, collaborators, and he included a, a he included um, Brubaker in the four or five, you know, uh, guys in fedoras and ties. And he actually, if you look at the back of of the Hunter, uh, Brubaker is included in the uh, in the dedications.
0: Yeah, well, as far as modern crime comics go, um, you're not going to get any better than um the Parker adaptations and, and, and the Brubaker books. So so yeah, Bubba tell us, you know, we've already talked to, we've already touched on the Parker books a lot, but um for those listeners that may not have checked those out, you know, you want to expand upon uh um Darwin's adaptations of the of the Parker books a little bit more?
1: Oh happily, happily. Um so so this these adaptations, they were originally planned to be four and there ended up being uh four ultimately. Um are the first adaptations where where the name Parker was actually being used? So, like the Lee Marvin film Point Blank that we mentioned, uh, Lee Marvin does not actually play a character named Parker. They changed the name. Uh, same with uh, Mel Gibson um, in another adaptation of the same of the same first book, The Hunter. Um, in the movie was called Payback, and the character again was not co- was was called something other than parker richard stark or donald westlake he passed away just before so he passed away in 2008 so before the these even the first book was released but darwin cook was working closely uh with him and with with his blessing this was the first adaptation that that has the parker name and and it is it is a stunning set of books um they actually cover more than, than four books. The, the quick overview of, of what they involve is the first book is called "The Hunter," is um, Parker was uh, on a job, was betrayed by one of his partners and betrayed by the, the woman he, he actually, the only woman he, he apparently actually loved. Um, and he he gets himself out of, uh, out of uh, county lockup. And crosses the country uh, looking for revenge, and he he gets revenge, um, but but part of that involves uh, making enemies with with the mob. That has repercussions in the, the second book, uh, The Outfit, um, where their antagonism really comes to a head. And that book, The Outfit, actually briefly covers. Um, another book called *The Man with the Getaway Face*. That now that everybody knows what Parker looks like, especially now that the mob knows what he looks like, he he has to um, undergo plastic surgery to, to change his identity, change his face. And there's a small um, armored car heist um, that 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 he uses to bankroll the uh, the the change in identity. But it's also the the that heist leads directly into the the triggering event between uh, the outfit and, and Parker, you know crossing paths again. Once everything is settled in in the score um, or in the outfit, book three is the score, um, probably the the most high concept book of of the four in that um, in that that Parker gets involved with the heist, to rob an entire town, an entire uh, mining community in this sort of box canyon, one way in and out, where they're going to, to rob the, uh, the payroll office in the, the mine. They're going to rob both banks, all three jewelry stores, all in an overnight, um, overnight operation involving, I think it was uh, about uh, 10 men. And um, after that job, we have uh, the final book in the series in what will, will be the final book in, in the adaptations is Slayground, where after a high school gone bad. And that's the book um, that I mentioned ties with a, with another book, a growfield book um, where they start the same, but followed the two different characters. This one follows Parker into a, um, an amusement park in Buffalo, New York Um Ironically described as the happiest place on earth, and I can't imagine anywhere in Buffalo being that being true. With all apologies, To any listeners in the Great Lakes area? It it, it is Buffalo um, that um, he he basically, after a heist gone bad, he he gets away from some crooked cops and the mob, hiding in a in a closed down amusement park that's closed down over the. Uh, um, over the winter and he has to find a way to, uh, to escape with, with not a lot of resources and all four books, um, originally published in hardcover. Uh, the first two were collected in an oversized Martini edition. The, the, the first one, the Hunter was also republished in a paperback. Um, when a, um, when a, a movie called Parker, uh, Jason Statham, I say Jason Statham and Jennifer Lopez movie that apparently wasn't very faithful to whichever book that it was uh, adapting when it came out, IDW published a, uh, a smaller uh, trade paperback of the, uh, of the Hunter. And, but these hardcovers, you know, they, they have um, uh, dust jackets over them. If you remove the dust jackets, it looks like the books came from the era of, era in which they were originally written you know um mid to, l- to late 60s the art is you know monotone so black and white uh with a single shade and it's a master class just like the parker books the, the original books are a class in in telling stories efficiently and not wasting any words unlike what i'm doing now um the the Parker adaptations that cook did are masterclasses and not wasting any images. And Darwin cook would, would even change up the style, um, to, to cover, uh, different parts of the stories in, uh, the second book, uh, the outfit, uh, Parker makes good on this threat. Basically, if the, if the mob comes after him, he'll reach out to all his freelance buddies. All of them have a, um, a hit that they've been planning to do against the mob for years now—that they an obvious hit—and in that part of the book, going over each hit that his friends accomplish, it goes from one one style to another. You know, from a magazine article to this cartoonish explanation of how uh, of uh, of how illegal horse gambling works, um, and then with with Slayground. Once Parker works his way into the the abandoned amusement park, um, you you're provided with this fold out map of of the park, and then then you see him going from from uh, amusement to amusement, from ride to ride, and, um, and and making plans and setting booby traps for for the uh, crooked cops and the mobsters that are coming in after him. And it's just it's entertaining on every page it's delightful
0: yeah and this is more i would say these these books are more um art driven than than a book like criminal which i would say is more um text driven um these are which is kind of so i would say these are yeah more art driven stories but it's more which you know is indicative of the the character the character's personality of parker you know he's he says very little um, he's just completely driven and focused on on the job at hand. Um, he doesn't have time for you know you see it time and time he doesn't have time for women. He doesn't have time for you know himself. It's just it's all about the the job at hand. And so I think the 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 tone of the book fits with fits with this character because there's a lot of there's a lot of passages seg- sections of the book where there's just very little. Um, dialogue, you know, it's it's very art driven. There's these extended passages of just art, um, and it and you know he's Darwin Cook was such a talented artist that it that it works it works really well um, to reflect on on Parker's personality.
1: Well, I mean, the very first book, um, the uh, the the first page has you know text straight from. From the the original novel and and a lot of the text, a lot of the dialogue is, is either verbatim uh, Richard Stark, you know, verbatim Westlake, or or it's even it's even reduced even further, so made even even more terse, um, you know, more appropriately for the uh, for for the illustrated page. But the very first page, you know, has when a fresh faced Chevy uh, when a fresh fresh faced guy in a Chevy offered him a lift, Parker told him to go to hell. And we see Parker walk across uh, the bridge into to New York, and it's literally 1, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 13. It's it's thirteen pages before we see any more dialogue.
0: Yeah that that first that first seg- section there. It's 1962, New York City. Um, yeah, he tells the guy to go to hell, and then you see him walking into the city. Um, and he's basically forging a new identity for himself. And he goes into a he goes into a cafe and there's a, a friendly waitress there who's um she's smoking a cigarette. Um she offers him a smoke and then he promptly promptly tears the filter off of it. Um because I guess, you know, he doesn't want to filter anything. I mean he's an unfiltered guy. Um, so anyway, he promptly tears the filter off of it and then blows the smoke back in her face. I mean, you get these um you know he's rough. He's a rough character. I mean, it doesn't matter, man, woman, um, if you're in the way of his job. You know, watch out. Yeah. You know, basically, you know, and he even there's a there's a couple scenes. There's a couple scenes, or he's here's he's talking to this other character Handy, and uh, just to give you an idea of his his personality, and so he's talking to this other criminal Handy, and. Um, they're discussing where this this third character is, and so Handy says, "I wonder where Skim is." Parker says, "Doesn't matter. Look at that bitch. Either way, she's gonna bump him." And Handy says, "The poor bastard." And Parker says, "A woman like that, he's better off dead." You know. So there's that kind of there's like you said, terse. Terse wouldn't even have it. I mean, it's just as, as direct and unfiltered a guy as you can as you can imagine. You know. And he uh he goes into a bar. You know. There's another there's another moment where he. He walks into a bar and he's in a disguise. And a woman approaches him. There's an attractive woman there, and she says, "So I'm just minding my own business, sweet business." And in walks one handsome devil. And Parker looks at her and just says, "Save it for the next customer." You know, he's just got no interest in even entertaining the notion of of talking to this girl who's you know trying to make a move on him.
1: Half the time we we don't see his full face. We see him in profile or the shadow of his of his form, his hands, you know, the long shadow that he casts, and he's. Yeah, he's more of a of a force of nature than 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 a feeling empathetic human being, and, and yeah, yeah, his his interactions with Grofield are particularly amusing because because most of the time it's just he's he's communicating three words to Grofield, shut up, Grofield. That's it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's Parker. I you know he almost seems more. He's even more i think an unsympathetic character than than a lot of Brubaker's protagonists, which um usually you know usually are more complex individuals i mean there's really Parker's not really a complex guy it's just you know this is the mission and this is who I need to get revenge on, and everything else be damned like that's what i'm gonna do uh you know there's not a to me there's not a lot of complexity there he's just singularly focused on um Either the heist or the revenge, um, so it's a, it's an interesting character, and and the you know Darwin's art just just fits it perfectly.
1: And, and there's not a lot. You're right. He's not sympathetic. There's not a lot to, to sympathize. Perhaps a bit to admire in terms of his uh, of his single mindedness, in terms of his competence, in terms of his of his sheer of the sheer force of his will
0: efficiency. You know, he's just very efficient, you know, at 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 knocking, you know, taking these guys out. You know, it's just like like you said a force of nature. It's just it's almost, you know, this superhuman ability to um to take care of business.
1: And you're rooting for him because he's he 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 because of that focus of his. And the brilliance, you know, not only in the the writing, whether it's whether it's um Donald Westlake's novels or in Ed Brubaker's scripts or in the artwork in the case of of Darwin Cook or or Sean Phillips is that that we're not talking about books that widely vary in terms of setting Um, they're all tend to be urban um, or urban crime stories in many cases set in in roughly the same era if you look at at say um, at say the fade out and some of the uh, criminal stories set in the seventies versus these Parker books set in the late sixties, that there's not a lot um, to distinguish the characters in terms of, you know, here's the barbarian in in the ancient world, here's the cowboy in the West, here's the, 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 the space pilot. Instead, you have people where the environment is the same across Across all of them, the the wardrobe is roughly the same, but in who they are, in their characterization, in their motivation, in their dialogue, in their actions, um, and, and in their appearance, you know, they could not be more different. You would never mistake Parker for Growfield, and and in in the world of Criminal, you would never mistake you know T. Lawless or for his son Tracy or for for Leo the Coward. Um, or or for um uh Jacob in Bad Night they they are very strongly drawn both in terms of the writing and in terms of the artwork. And so those are probably for our um listeners those would be the two big books that we would probably recommend them check out would be would be uh Darwin Cook's work with Ed Brubaker on Catwoman and his um his work uh published through IDW, of adapting uh, Richard Stark's Parker.
0: Yes, yes, I'm with you there. I mean, that was one of the first, the, you know, when, when, when I first contacted Bubba about this podcast, that was both of us immediately. Obviously, we were big Brubaker fans, and then we we both agreed on the, the Parker adaptations as just being stellar examples of, of great crime comics. And that, the two things, um, later I'm going to talk about another uh, another. New crime book that that's just recently come out through Image called The Fix, and um, that's one of the things too that stood out. You know these par- the Parker books and the Criminal books, to me will never seem dated. I mean they're the, this is high art stuff. You know it's like um, I, I think any era. You know those books could have come out thirty years ago or they could have come out five years ago, and you could read them in twenty years and they're always going to work. You know they're they're that they're that level of quality that I don't think they'll ever seem dated. Um, they're just, just, you know, really fantastic examples of work, you know, and the fix, which I'm going to recommend later, it's a very good book, but it's definitely just for this era. I mean, the it in 10 years, I don't think it'll work like it does right now. And 10 years ago, you couldn't have read it. You know, it just works in, in 2016. Right. And that's fine. It's just a different type of book. But, but Parker and, and criminal, um, I feel like you could, you know, read those in any era or give them to any. Um, basically, any demographic, and they should resonate. They're they're that kind of book.
1: A very small silver lining uh, with with Darwin's passing is that it it made me want to to catch up on some of the books I knew I missed. Um, one of them was the uh, Before Watchmen uh, prequels. He did one for he did the writing and artwork for Minutemen and co-wrote. Um, the, the uh, prequel for Silk Spectre with Amanda Connor, But then the other one was um, DC, The New Frontier, which you mentioned, you know, a six-inch issue miniseries. But it's a huge book. It's it's 400 pages of, of actual content in addition to, to extra features that you would see either in the Absolute Edition or I would actually recommend the, the Deluxe Edition because it has a, uh, a, a story that, a, a kind of side story that was... Uh, published for the um, direct to DVD animated adaptation and I have fallen in love with The New Frontier and I think it's kind of funny that it's taken this long for me to find it or to to, to, to read it recently that DC has released uh, or re-released The New Frontier in a hardcover um, deluxe edition and I read it pretty quick. well not pretty quickly I, I poured over it and it's, you know, I, we, we announced early on that, that we're going into spoilers. I really don't want to spoil this one. I think I, I think the joy in discovering what's going on um, is really worth it. I'm not sure, so to, to explain what this book is, it, it's, it bridges the gap between the golden age of DC superheroes, you know, the Justice Society of America in uh, the World War II era, and... And the Silver Age, you know, beginning in the the uh, late '50s, early '60s, with the new Flash, um, who who most of us think of as the classic Flash, Barry Allen, the classic um, Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, you know their their origin stories. They're coming together to to tackle this huge and imminent threat, all in the context of. Of a fairly grounded real world, um, you know, in the post-war era, you know, uh, uh, in the the era of, of McCarthyism, which you know is a complicated uh, political era, to say the least. But McCarthyism, Jim Crow, uh, the space race, um, Korea, and the beginnings of Vietnam, and it's in some ways it's. I think it's definitely um, worth comparing to Watchmen in terms of uh, of this sort of generation-spanning um, alternate universe that, that intersects with real-world history. But I think where, it's, where it sets itself apart from Watchmen and so many other books that, have, that, that still remain in Watchmen's shadow is, is that it is optimistic and hopeful – where so many books are 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 pessimistic, where where Darwin Cook distills what is inspiring about about these these characters, whether it whether it is the super powered characters like Superman or Wonder Woman or you know aliens like the the Martian Manhunter, or whether it's it's more grounded characters like the the soldiers from World War II, or the original Suicide Squad or the the Challengers of the Unknown. Um, he distills rather than deconstructs, and this is a story that really takes its time. Um, it's told in this very cinematic style, where you know three tiers, like like a lot of the Sean Phillips books that we're used to, but most of these tiers are a single panel, so it's it's this very widescreen look that is told pretty much in chronological order. So without a lot of flashbacks, so it takes you know out of a 400 page uh, story, it takes about 200 pages to realize where the story might be going, which you know that's a big investment, but the the set pieces, the action, the adventure that takes place up to that point is so in, entertaining in my opinion that that it's it's well worth the the, the the ride and well worth the wait. A very hopeful, very um, charming story. It's not naive. It does tackle some some tough subjects from the era, but it's it's a thrilling little story. And, and I think the the most I guess claim you could give to a story whether it's you know a movie like Star Wars or these Parker adaptations or or this it's uh, the new frontier is that when it was over is that I wanted to to continue to inhabit this particular world I wanted to see what happens in this in, in this superpowered universe and I'm not sure I've I've felt that way since since the Batman the animated series cartoons in terms of a of a more traditional superhero work, and that's that's impressive,
0: yeah, what an ambitious project that yep. that whole thing must have been to undertake then Darwin both wrote and uh did the artwork, correct
1: yes, yes, he did it's this was his his baby,
0: you know on the i guess i'll I'll use that to segue uh into the book I was talking about earlier. Uh, which is, you know, definitely a, a book, different book in tone to uh, the new frontier, which is this new crime book that Image is publishing, um, called The Fix. Uh, we're, th- I think, three issues in at yep. this point. It's a it's a crime book by uh, Nick Spencer and Steve Lieber, um, which were uh, Nick Spencer is, uh, you know, also writes Morning Glories. That's kind of a, a high profile Image book that that he's the creator of, and this is, I guess, the team from um the superior foes of Spider Man the Marvel book also. And uh it's a it's a funny read. It's like I said, it's really not like criminal at all, other than um it's dealing with the criminal characters, but it's a very irreverent take and you know, it's literally laugh out loud funny at times. Um it's just no holds barred. I mean there's a if you're familiar with Morning Glories, there's which I've been reading, you know, for several years now. There's one you know, Morning Glories takes place in a in a in a school, a prep school. Um, so there's all these different high schoolers that are the main characters, and there's one there's kinda one smart ass character in Morning Glories that, that has some good one liners. But then the bulk of the book is serious and, and the other characters kinda dismiss him. Well anyway, if you take that guy and make a whole book, um, that's kind of what you're getting with the fix. I mean, uh Spencer is really running with the, with the one-liners. It's just completely unhinged. Um and it's it's funny. I mean, it's it's really funny. The first line of the book of number 1 is I'm not going to lie to you, being a criminal these days, it's shit. And uh and so then anyway, the 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 plot carries on and it's you know, you find out that it's a, you know, these criminals are actually cops. Um and it's a it's a very good read. I mean, and like I said, I don't know how it's a book that will seem dated. Um, You know, it only works right now. You know, they mention Instagram and they talk about, you know, there's all these pop culture references that are, that are really funny and really well done. You know, it probably won't age real well. I wouldn't think in, in 10 years or so. So I don't necessarily look for this book to, to, to go on forever. Um, But it's worth checking out. Um, You know, it's just, it doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, And it's, you know, there's some voiceover monologue that that kind of puts you in mind of Goodfellas at times. That I thought, and uh, it's a pretty funny read. I mean, there's very few comics where you, or where that I read where I actually laugh out loud. But this had some lines that 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 you know, it was like you know, you're watching Anchorman or something. There's just some there's these lines that come out of left field that are just laugh out loud funny.
1: Yeah, there were a few times I, I laughed enough that I had to, to go over the scene with my wife as as much as she did not want to hear it, so... <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I've got to share like this said, with
1: you, honey. <laughs>
0: yeah, like I said, it's just... He, he, you know, it's no holds barred, basically. Um, I, and so I don't really know where it's headed. You know, I don't know how long he'll maintain this... Uh, the the humor element. But like I said, it seems like it's turned a little bit of a corner. The third issue was... a um, a little more serious, and uh, you know, maybe a little bit more political. So, anyway, that's a book to check out. You know, if, if you're a crime comics fan, and totally different tone than than Brew Baker books or or the Darwin Cook books we've been talking about. But but a definitely an enjoyable read. Um, Nick Spencer, Steve Lieber, that's called the Fix. Uh, Bubba, what was your recommendation for? for Mine
1: is the Nice Guys. So moving a little bit away from from. Uh, comic books to actually um, publishing and movies. The, the Nice Guys uh, re- came out a few weeks ago um, to very strong reviews and, and, and exceeded expectations in terms of box office, though it's not, you know, it's not going to do the sort of money that a Marvel movie will do. But it's, um, it is Russell Crowe, Ryan Gosling, um, d- written and directed by Shane Black, who you know, straight out of the gate... Um, became well known uh, for writing the script to to um, Lethal Weapon, the original Lethal Weapon, and has since written and directed Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and um, Iron Man Three, which was showed up in a lot of the trailers from the director of Iron Man Three, which which seemed like an odd odd thing to say just in terms of of who maybe this this movie was trying to appeal to, but um, the movie. Uh, was uh, adapted into a novelization by Charles Ardai, who I mentioned earlier, the, the editor at Hard Case Crime. It was um, uh, published as a um, mass market trade paper or mass market paperback under the, the Hard Case Crime uh, imprint. And that came out just a couple weeks before the movie. So I, I basically I, I read the book, then saw the movie, and enjoyed both thoroughly. Um, it's it is a buddy cop, or not a cop movie, but a buddy movie, um, a detective story. Uh, set in the late 70s, I, they do give a specific date, but from what I what I've read, there are enough slight anachronisms that just know that it's vaguely the late 70s. So if you if you liked the late 70s era of the criminal one shots, um, and you you like the Hollywood, the the corrupt Hollywood setting of uh, of the fade out and and the fix, this this movie is for you. It it combines both. Um, I've read in a few places that that the script was originally intended to be a pilot for a TV series, and I could could actually see it. And and you know would love to see these guys um, in more you know madcap adventures um, like the fix. This movie is not. Not for all ages. Um, it is rated R in the sense of, um, you know, in the sense of the the sort of '80s action movies, the Lethal Weapons and Die Hard's. The premise being that that Ryan Gosling is an alcoholic uh, private detective um, who is now a single dad raising a, a teenage daughter who who actually has more of a level head and, and it's almost becomes who who almost becomes the conscience of the film. The the young actress who plays uh, Gosling's daughter steals the show really against two very good actors, and um, the the other actor Russell Crowe plays basically muscle hired muscle who who beats people up for a living. He beats up Ryan Gosling's detective, uh, and then the two of them uh, end up working to, together uh, to to track down a missing a missing woman. It's thoroughly enjoyable. It's not life-changing, you know. You're not going to come away from this movie a a better man unless, you know, it it opens your eyes to a soundtrack that you really should know about beforehand. But it is a great way for a couple of guys. You know, a friend of mine and I went and saw it a a late um, Memorial Day, uh, a late showing over Memorial Day weekend, and could not have had a better time. It it, it really has been the uh, most enjoyable movie I've seen in a good long time.
0: Well and that's yeah, so that sounds like a good companion piece to the fix, because you know that's so far reading the fix, like I said it's like you said not life changing and um but but just a good funny entertaining entertaining watch slash read, and you know I was thinking here's here's the line that I pulled out um from the fix, just to put it in perspective, and this will tell you what kind of book it is so far um uh, there's a line that says it's not bestiality if the dog can talk, dude you know so that that gives you some perspective on on the kind of lines that are that are in the fix it's 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 very entertaining and 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 worth checking out and 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 that's something like bubba recommending a movie this month that's something we're going to try to do from time to time is um we may go out of the the comics realm and, and and recommend a film or a TV show from time to time that that would lend itself well to to the people that are that are into these comics so so that's that's kind of our recommendations for the month
1: yeah and not uh, and you can, you can approach the subject of crime and you know, crooked, cro- crooked cops and down-on-your-luck private eyes. You can, you can approach it from a very serious uh, tone with the occasional humor or approach it very lighthearted with the occasional moments of seriousness. And you know, if, you, if, if you do it with a deft enough hand, you can, you can uh, create something that's very enjoyable if it's comedy – and then if it's if it's drama, something that really, really hits home.
0: Yeah, it's really not um it's not as rigid of a genre as it as it seems on the surface, maybe. So there you know, I think that uh it might get labeled as a pretty rigid genre and, you know, a, a crime movie or a crime book kinda of people assume will fall under, you know, be a very similar read to an, to another book. But no, there's a lot of ways to approach it and um it's a pretty elastic genre actually, I think
1: yeah and one of the big things is is that uh the parker books are crime thrillers while well, i would say the criminal books are more noir where you have have broken men heading toward tragic ends
0: you know we wanted to do this episode because the uh it really is a great loss to the to the literary community of of darwin cook um who has overlapped with Ed Brubaker, our main focus of, of of the podcast? But anyway, like I said, they've worked on some books together, and and we thought people would would uh, be fans of both books, and so we really did want to to dedicate a good portion of this podcast to uh, to the memory of Darwin Cook. So uh, hopefully, we did that justice, and and we're happy to to share some of our recommendations with you this month. And uh, was there anything else you wanted to uh, add tonight, Bubba?
1: Uh, no, just uh, that that if we've brought up a title that that interests you, um, go and support your your creator-owned uh, comics. Go and support your creators. Um, one of the things Brubaker mentioned on Twitter uh, when it was announced that that Darwin Cook was sick. One of the best things that you can do to to support a creator or to support his family is, is to buy their books. You know, is is to to buy. You know, buy it in the biggest version you can. You know, the the deluxe hardcovers if you can. But also just patronize the the writers, the artists that are producing good work. And you know, if if you like crime crime fiction, whether it's pure prose or or comics, I don't think you can can go wrong with characters like like Richard Starks Parker. And I really don't think you can go wrong with with the world building that, um, that Brubaker has been doing either with, with, with Sean Phillips or with Steve Epting.
0: And yeah, we hoped we we'll, you know, we should be back hopefully by, uh, the, on the next month, you know, we'll dive into some, some velvet. I think we'll have a new velvet by then. Um, and we'll be, uh, approaching the launch of killer be killed, which continues to grow closer. We're very excited to read that book. And, um, like I said, we do encourage you to, uh, help us spread the word about the podcast. Um, this is the uh, the Undertow Podcast, is what we're calling it. Um, we're available on iTunes. We're available on the web at undertow.podbean.com. Um, send us an email, undertowpodcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at undertowpodcast. Uh, my name is Robert Watson. My more qualified co-host is Bubba Beasley. And uh, we're happy to bring this to you. And um, like I said, help us spread the word um, give us a give us a recommendation or a rating on iTunes and um, let us know uh, what you like about the podcast. And um, we will be seeing you in a month or so and we'll talk some more crime comics. So I think we will sign off for, for this evening and we'll see you on down the road. lights gone up to the skies Things like that drive me out of my mind Way up to